1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Happy Aquarius season
0: and happy belated birthday to you, Kate. How did you spend your solar return?
1: Thank you. Um, Cody took the day off and we watched movies and spent some really good quality time together. In the evening, we had some cake and some champagne, and my little sister Grace sent me a bouquet of flowers that truly looked like a fairy folk bouquet. I'll have to show you a picture. (laughs) And I really just felt the love. Also, I had a moment to look into the background of birthday candles, so I really need to share that with you. (laughs) Yes, please do. So the use of fire in certain rites dates back to the creation of altars. So birthday candles are said to hold symbolic power, and it was believed that evil spirits visited people on their birthdays, and that to protect the person whose birthday it was from evil, people must surround the individual to make them merry. So partygoers would then make noise to scare away the spirits.
0: So interesting. Were they always placed atop cakes, or is that a modern-day contribution?
1: So I found some references to cake. Um, They sounded a little bit more simple than kind of how we imagine a birthday cake, but um, it had a lot more to do with wealth and then what was available during the time period. So
0: interesting. I Mm -hmm. love learning about these little forgotten pieces of lore. So thank you. But now we're in February, which, thanks to Valentine's Day, is typically the month that we associate with love, whether that be true love, self-love, unrequited love, or heartbreak. And I'm curious, what is your take on love spells? Honestly, I've never
1: cast one. What about you?
0: I'm in the same boat, with the exception of self-love or self-care rituals.
1: I think the craft really, really got to my brain.
0: Yes, I agree. Not to mention Disney movies. So then let's dissect love spells. Help me decide if they are potion or poison. Let's do it. Bear with me, listeners. This isn't a lovey-dovey episode, but I promise it's interesting. When we think about it, Like, really think about it. It's not too outlandish to compare a love potion to poison. The morality or ethics of magic, especially a love spell, has been called into question on numerous occasions. I don't think I need to explain why a ritual designed to influence someone's emotions other than your own is a bad idea. But if I do, let me just say that whatever energy you send out into the world will eventually find its way back to you. And if you abide by the rule of three, that's even more reason to reconsider casting a love spell. Off the top of my head, I can't help but think of the 1996 movie that Kate just mentioned, The Craft. I assume that most of us have seen this film, but in case you need a refresher, there is a scene where Robin Tooney's character, Sarah, performs a ritual to make her high school crush, Chris, fall in love with her. And it totally works, at least at first. Eventually, Chris's love turns to obsession, and things go downhill quickly after that. And that's a common theme with love spells, not only in the modern world. I came across rituals from ancient Greece, Rome, and Syria, among others, that talk about the fine line between love divination and madness, even death. In the book Magic, Witchcraft, and Ghosts in the Greek and Roman World, there is a really great quote. It says... If one goes fishing with poison, one quickly captures and easily lands the fish, but the poison renders the fish inedible and disgusting. In the same way, those women who devise love potions and sorceries against their husbands and control them through pleasure share their lives with bewildered, mindless, and ruined men. Mm-hmm. Which totally makes sense, right? That's why they call it drunk on love. You're intoxicated, you're not thinking clearly. Your world turns into a pinprick with that special person as the focal point. And the more I searched, I realized that there are more stories of love spells gone wrong than successful ones. It's said that Caesonia, the Roman empress, gave her husband, Emperor Caligula, a love potion that turned him mad. In this case, the potion caused insomnia. Even on the rare occasion when he fell asleep, he was tortured by ghosts and visions. He claimed that on several occasions he wasn't able to rest because in his dreams he was awake, speaking with the sea. And even Hercules, one of the greatest warriors in mythology, fell victim to a love spell. There are many versions of this story, but the short of it is that his second wife, Dayanara, who was immortal, rubbed a love potion on her husband's tunic. Her intention was that Hercules would cease to desire any person except for her. However, the potion burned through his clothes, his skin, and eventually killed him. There are also some people who claim that when Circe, the Greek goddess of witchcraft and beasts, turned men to pigs, it was due to a love spell gone wrong. I don't necessarily agree with that theory, but it is an interesting take on her story.
1: They call the herb that they believed that Cersei used Enchanter's Nightshade, which is amazing, and also more on herbs later.
0: I love that name. And I also love Cersei. So why is it that love spells are so toxic? Maybe it's because there's an emphasis on carnal love instead of the emotional connection that many of us associate with true love. In many ways, these love spells are based on physical attraction and possession instead of support and devotion. It might also have something to do with the ingredients a spellcaster chooses. I saw powdered lizards, liver, lapis lazuli, and all sorts of other components for effective love spells, even apples. Maybe it's because I recently wrote about Lilith and Adam but I can't help but think of Eve and the apple and how the apple is a symbol for sin. This correlation between women and apples and poison would suggest that it was only women doing these questionable deeds, but that isn't true. Even though traditionally men were on the receiving end of these spells, there is a passage from a sacred book ascribed to Hermes that was found in Heliopolis that says otherwise. The passage talks about an apple spell for making a woman fall madly in love with you. It reads, Say it three times over. I will pelt with apples. Enter name here. I will give this spell which is ever apt for eating for mortal men and immortal gods. Whichever woman I give the apple to, whichever woman I throw the apple at and hit with it, may she put off everything else and become crazy with love for me. Whether she takes it in her hand and eats it, or puts it away in her dress, may she not stop loving me. Cyprus-born Aphrodite bring this spell into fruition. And speaking of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, there is a story about her and Hera. Hera was, of course, the wife of Zeus. She loved him dearly despite his unfaithful behavior, and she was always trying to come up with new ways to make him desire her. One day, she visited Aphrodite and told her a story about how she wanted to help rekindle the fire between Oceanus and Tethys.
1: The gods love to meddle.
0: And this is no exception. Hera asked to borrow her embroidered band, which was Aphrodite's most precious tool when it came to subduing mortal men and gods alike. The embroidered band was filled with love, desire, and intimacy, which, according to Aphrodite, could steal the wits of even the most sensible. Aphrodite likely knew that helping Oceanus and Tethys wasn't Hera's true intention, but she handed over the band anyways, with a warning. She told Hera that by wearing her embroidered amulet, she would not come back without altering the things she desired in her heart. Hera was undeterred by this ominous warning. She wore the band and used it to seduce Zeus. She was successful, but how that encounter affected their relationship is left up to our imagination.
1: Did you ever come across any successful love spells? I
0: did, but more so related to self-love or love divination, where spellcasters were hoping to catch a glimpse of their beloved instead of trying to affect them in any way. For these rituals, I noticed that many spellcasters used bay leaves, rose, hemp, rosemary, and mugwort. I came across an article in an old folklore journal that shared some simple spells, and it's not hard to see that these spells are so different from the ones I've been talking about. Some of these spells are from Scotland and England and are aimed at St. Agnes, the patroness of young girls. They can be performed any but are most common on January 20th, the eve of her sacred day, On St. Agnes Eve, young boys and girls would stay up until midnight, go into a cornfield, scatter grain, and repeat, Agnes sweet and Agnes fair, hither hither now repair. Bonnie Agnes let me see, the latter lass who is to marry me. If St. Agnes heard their prayers, when the boys and girls returned home, an image of the person they were destined to marry would appear in their mirror. Another story says that a boy or girl could take a sprig of thyme and rosemary, sprinkle it with water three times, and place one of each in their shoes. They would then place the shoes on either side of their bed, which was believed to induce dreams or visions of their future lover, and potentially, their wedding day.
1: I love that. That's so tender. Um, in the spell book my grandma Joan sent that we talked about during the winter solstice, I found a few love spells included there. Um, there's a spell called Love Charm that uses rosemary, like you mentioned, and a spell named To Win the Heart of the One You Love, which works with onions, and then an invocation called Your Heart's Desire, which uses rose, and to me, rose feels like a pretty classic ingredient in a love spell, I also found one for strengthening affection, which only requires a copper penny and hair. That
0: one sounds alarmingly easy.
1: Right? (laughs) And there are so many magical and love associations with herbs and plants.
0: Do you have any favorites for this time of year?
1: Yeah, I did a little digging to run us through some of the flowers and herbs that we may see on Valentine's Day cards or um, in other sorts of depictions this month, but that we may not know the origin stories for. So rose is a really popular herb that has long been associated with love. Rose has had many symbolic meanings over the years. The Germanic peoples consecrated the hedge rose to Frigga, the wife of Odin, and red rose hips held thunderstorms and magic at bay in their folklore. In antiquity, Rose was associated with the love god Eros, as well as an ally to Aphrodite. The Romans and Greeks were under the love spell of Rose, but so were the people of the Middle Ages, who used rose to divine love oracles. Rosemary is a beautiful herb for remembrance, which we talked a little bit about during Samhain. If you remember Ophelia and Hamlet saying, there's rosemary, that's for remembrance, pray you, love, remember, and there's pansies, that's for thoughts. The medicinal and spice plant thyme also stimulates the body and gets the libido going. The Romans were big believers in the power of thyme, and they took thyme baths regularly as an aphrodisiac. A lovely way to work with the energies of these plants that doesn't involve casting a spell could be by burning some thyme or rosemary, or by taking a bath some rose petals paired with thyme as well as some salts could be a really beautiful way to show some self-love during this season.
0: Yes, I actually have a friend who cleans her floors with rosemary and other herbs, and I think that's such a simple way to make our daily tasks a bit more intentional.
1: I love that. I'll have to try. My witchcraft medicine book that I reference frequently on our episodes has some really beautiful pieces about the sensuality of nature, which I thought was really exciting. Um, and there's some really interesting writing about the demonizing of the natural world and how women's sensuality and freedom is tied up in this depiction, which we can kind of see with how witches have been treated over the centuries. Um, there's definitely parallels I read this and I loved it. So witchcraft medicine stems from shamanism and has roots in paleolithic times. Witchcraft medicine is mythological, ritualistic, a religion revolving around sacred, in other words, effective plants. And of this witchcraft medicine domain, aphrodisiacs are one important factor, which of course we get that word from Aphrodite herself, like you mentioned earlier. As I was exploring herbs, I came across some really interesting research on wine as it ties to witchcraft as well as to love and lust. So let's take a moment to talk about wine, one of my favorites. As you mentioned before, love drunk has to come from somewhere. Yes. Wine is known to be an aphrodisiac. It was actually assumed to be the love potion from the story of Tristan and Isolde, which I just wrote a version of for Tamed Wild as an upcoming surprise, so stay tuned on that but just to run you through this famous Celtic love story briefly, Tristan and Isolde are star-crossed lovers. When they travel together so that Isolde can go marry Tristan's uncle, Isolde gives Tristan a love spell that her mother made for her for her wedding night. So this potion is in fact believed to be red wine, and wine has long been associated with witches. I didn't know this, but the word sabbat actually has no connection to the biblical terminology or to the word seven, but instead is likely to be derived from the god Sabazios, who is often compared to Dionysus, the god of wine and raucous parties. I found online that Greek sources from the 5th century BCE onward mention Sabazios as a god in Athens, where his cult's initiation ceremonies took place by night and Those that participated were purified by being rubbed with mud, as well as a sacramental drink was shared. The identification of sabazios with Dionysus occurs regularly in Hellenistic sources. They say that witches' wine contains henbane and brought people to dance in ecstasy. The church said that witches favored wine that had been stolen from a cellar. Another fun fact about Henbane is I believe that it was used to brew beer before hops were. That's interesting. Don't quote me on that, but it's, it's a cool fact. Um, I love to leave wine on my altar for my ancestors because I feel like it is particularly pleasing to them. Wine has also been considered a medicine. In addition to being an intoxicant and aphrodisiac, anandamide is in red wine, which binds the same receptors in your body as THC and chocolate. I actually keep some anandamide powder from sun potion in my apothecary here and on the bag it says this blend may activate and harmonize the nervous digestive and immune systems and that it is the perfect alchemical treat to brighten the mind and open the heart. I really love to whisk it into oat milk. The goddess Maeve, um, the Irish goddess of sovereignty and desire, her name translates into intoxication or drunken woman. Maeve is strong-willed, ambitious, cunning, and promiscuous, and is an archetypal warrior queen. In ancient and medieval Ireland, the drinking of mead and wine was a key part of a king's inauguration ceremony. In myth, a supernatural woman representing the sovereignty of the land would choose a king by offering him an alcoholic drink, thus bestowing sovereignty upon him, further perpetuating the magical properties of wine. It was said that Maeve could run faster than horses, slept with innumerable kings whom she then discarded, and wore live birds and animals across her shoulders and arms. I feel like after all this research, what I'm really interested in is working with plants or love spells to really connect with my own divinity, sensuality, or erotic nature instead of casting spells on others. I think these aphrodisiacs, goddesses like Maeve, Aphrodite, or Venus, can really teach us about our own sovereignty, which is hugely important to me as a witch. Um, Kristen, I'm curious, is there a suggestion that you might have for our listeners about how to connect with the space that we're talking about this month? Maybe some word witchery?
0: Yeah, so I wrote a ritual for this month's Tamed Wild Box, which is sort of centered around recognizing your daily life as the fairy tale that it is. Mm. And if fairy tale doesn't work for you, you can obviously choose another word that captures the mystique of your story. My intention was to marry the old with the modern through word witchery, in this case, letter writing. So for this ritual, I encouraged people to write letters to the past, present, and future versions of themselves. Also to a stranger, a mentor, maybe a relative or ancestor, and anyone else that has contributed to our growth. Obviously, connecting with our past self and inner child is a practice in self-love on its own, but it's also really fulfilling to spread love in unexpected ways. And I think that receiving a love letter in the mail is something that many of us will cherish.
1: I love that idea so much. Thank you, Kristen. And thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at k8ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com.
0: Join us for next week's episode where we talk Tales of Ash and the Celtic Tree of the Month. Just a reminder that Magic and Alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time.